Hello and welcome to Register, the podcast about architecture and landscape from the Kingston School of Art in London. My name is Andrew Clancy. In this episode, I am joined by Hugh Campbell. Hugh is Professor of Architecture in UCD Dublin, but wears many hats. He's curated multiple exhibitions at the Venice Biennale, including its current edition, and has written extensively on the subject of architecture, both from an historical perspective but also on the lens as a mean to understand a broader cultural context for both how architecture is seen and how it itself might be a carrier of certain types of meaning. In this conversation, we treat both of Hugh's own research interests and life, but also about the challenges of education and of being a student today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. So, uh, Hugh, you're very welcome to the Kingston School of Art. Thank you. Well, thanks for coming. Thank you very much. I mean, it's interesting, I suppose, because um, obviously we've known each other for some time. I mean, the first time I met you, you taught me, well, in yeah. second year, first yeah. of all. Yeah. Um, and I remember, it, this is just setting the context for our listeners as such, is that I think you weren't giving a full lecture course then, but you did give us one lecture on domestic space, which I still remember, which mm-hmm. opened with a quote from Jane Eyre, I believe, ah. okay. kind of surfed through other literatures, jazz films and all of that but what we mm. found amazing about it is that it was a history and theory lecture but it wasn't something which was about history per se although it was and it wasn't something about theory as something distinct from practice although it was it was about a way of looking really we oh. found it very enthusiastic on that level it was a kind of a refreshing way to see architecture and to engage mm. with it mm. so I suppose just out of personal curiosity what was the pre-life before that before lecture that. yeah Gosh. What informed that person yeah. to make that <laughs> conversation? Yeah, um, I, I, um, I'm still grappling with the idea of how long ago that might have been, and that I might still be peddling the same <laughs> quote, if not the same lecture, certainly the same quote, and still haven't done much about it. Funny, I was talking about Jane Eyre the other day to um, a friend of yours, Kester Rattenbury. Oh yeah, who's just written about Thomas Hardy. And really wants to write about Charlotte Bronte. Not so much Jane Eyre as Villette. But anyway, that's a separate conversation. So, what led me to that? Um, well, I studied architecture uh, in UCD. And then I, when I qualified, I went into practice because I assumed that's what one did. And I worked in London briefly. And then I worked in the Blackham and Marr uh, in Dublin. This would have been 1988. And so when I came back to Dublin, that was probably the the one job that came up in architecture. Yeah. In, you know, there was no work. And they had just been doing work in Trinity and were starting to do some new work. And, and the first project I worked on was the Knock Chapel competition. Wow. Uh, yeah. So I did the drawings. For, my first day in work was flying down to Knock with John Marr. And... Um, briefly looking at the site and then going to a bar in a hotel and having him tell me stories. Um, <laughs> and then my second day of work was <laughs> starting to work on the, that project, which the competition, we won that competition and that project got built. And anyway, so I worked a bit on that and I worked on some of their second phase Trinity projects um, up until they started working on Cork and the COT yeah. project. Um, but at the same time, my uh, partner, now wife, was, was um, she also worked there for a while. And then she, this is probably a long way around of telling you the story, but it's I about like how you good. expand 
beyond your, I suppose your your sphere of interest. Almost immediately having left, I remember saying to John Toomey. John Toomey was my tutor, and and in fifth year, and I think it must have been the night we graduated or whatever, got a result. So I was saying to him, I think I'd like to go and study literature. Mm. You know, and he, I think he was aghast. He probably <laughs> wasn't aghast in retrospect, but it felt like the wrong thing to say. But I had this appetite for wanting to expand my sphere of reference uh, and my wife at the same time did a, did a, uh, a master's then in women's studies in Trinity which is a very interesting course because it was kind of ranging across a whole load of disciplines you know into stuff that I didn't know much about um, and it was sort of and at the same time I was doing kind of courses in I remember doing a course in in UCD about Beckett with Kybert and all these people teaching mm. on it and it was just eye opening but I didn't know how to stitch it together into anything you know it was just interesting um, and so, and at the same time, um, for various reasons, I was becoming more disenchanted with practice and wanting to go back to study. And so I went, eventually, I went back to do a master's in UCD, which was kind of, I was very influenced by Field Day, and these are um, a kind of a group of UCD in Queens. Literature people mostly, like Declan Kyber, James Dean, uh, Richard Carney, okay. who were writing about Irish culture, theatre, uh, writing, and Irish nationalism, national identity, these kinds of questions. So that felt like territory where architecture might be relevant. Mm. And at the same time, there was some writing about identity and nation and architecture that felt like it could be applied to Ireland. So I came back in and started doing a master's which was about those kinds of things, the kind of moment of Irish nationalism, the project of Irish nationalism, uh, and how the city, say, particularly, figured in that or not. Um, and it was kind of pretty broad and pretty vague and not terribly good. And I remember Thomas Doherty, who people might know Thomas Doherty, who was quite well known in literature, was the extern on it, and I think he was not that impressed but impressed enough to let it go and then I went on from there to do a PhD which drove me more into urban history really um, and at the same time I was I moved over to London and I taught a bit in the AA uh, for a couple of years with Irenae Scalbert mm. that's where I met Irenae and um, on the general studies program there and, and actually that was an I mean, all the time, all of this was just about educating yourself, really. I mean, yeah. To me, that was just an amazing education because that was first year. I remember the first week he had Richard McCormick in to talk to them. The next week we had Peter Smithson in to talk to them, having just been to see Robin Hood Gardens. The following week was um, John Winter bringing an Eames chair with him into the lecture room. And then, etc. Tony Fretton talking about uh, Freelander photographs, etc., etc. Et it was kind of an amazing... Extraordinary, yeah. 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 So... And, and and along the way, I was trying to sort of find, I guess, a way that you could fold historical inquiry, um, insights from other disciplines, um, back into a way of thinking about and teaching architecture. So maybe that lecture might have been a faltering attempt to, to, to do that. Um, and I guess that's what I've been doing since. Mm. Um, so ways of seeing or ways of thinking about it is probably right you know that I sort of sit a little bit off architecture but then I'm kind of trying to look back at it through various lenses yeah um, and literally lenses now 
Literally lenses now, yeah, yeah. Strangely, like something. I mean, often it's like things that then the background come into the foreground. So for quite a while, like I would have just wanted to use images in in talking about various themes or various ideas, and you found yourself using photographs, particularly as a sort of not a shorthand exactly, but just that they seemed to be able to encapsulate some prop proposition about how about space or about how people inhabit space and use space typically like inhabitation I would say was what they were speaking of and then so at a certain point um, I became more interested in putting that that those images into the foreground of the research that I've been doing mm. so that now probably going on 10 years or something that I've been thinking more explicitly about the photographic image about photography and architecture but in a particular sort of way I mean the, the kind of discussions about photography and architecture typically tend to kind of break in two ways one is that photography serves architecture in some mm. way um, so it, and usually those discussions are about architectural photography yeah um, and the point of the photograph is to say something about the building or about the intentions of the architect or the reception of the building or whatever it is and then on the other hand, there is how architecture can be used by photography, if you like, where like in you know, the work of Stephen Shaw or something like that, there's an interest in architecture, or Thomas Struth or something, you know, there's an interest yeah. in the built stuff, but it feeds an idea about photographic practice. It's not about architecture. So I sort of, what I've been trying to do, I suppose, is establish some sort of middle ground between those two uh, positions, neither of which seems to me to be entirely capturing yeah, what actually the relationship is about, um, and so um, and in in doing that, a lot of my the way that I've thought is about the sort of technologies and practices of photography. So not so much about theory as about the technologies and practices. You know, uh, the space of photography, the space of making photographs, the time that's involved in them. What it can kind of, physically do. What it yeah, the instrument, but do. also the person and the instrument in a place making an image. Yeah. That, the event of it, let's say. Yeah. You know? And uh, and what I think is that there's a sort of rhyme, I would say, between that and the activity of the architect in wanting to. Uh, let's say define the terms of inhabitation. Okay. Yeah. So the architect, the photographer responds to the inhabited environment. Typically, I mean, even if it's just them inhabiting it, um, and and sets it forth somehow in an image. And the architect is, I think, is is going after some discovery of some or incipient order. Let's say in terms of how we inhabit. The world, and they want to then give that shape, mm-hmm. give it form. Sorry, that's quite broad statement, but that's the sort of I'm interested in that reciprocity then between those disciplines. Like there seems to be a common impulse. I would say, maybe just me seeing it, but I, I think it's there. Which is an um, it's an editing, obviously, but it's 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 a looking. So it's a sort of yeah. You're you're saying that the photographer is obviously there, and they're composing. Yeah intuitively in this yeah. situation and that isn't dissimilar to the effort and design practice to find coherency in all these divergent forces that actually gave yeah. shape to that building in the first uh, place and and there's another thing that kind of binds it together which i somehow f- forgot to talk about which is um i the ideas of self and of consciousness which mm-hmm. is another kind of abiding interest of mine 
in the sense that the, and this is where Jane Eyre comes in actually because you know Jane Eyre is like a, a well it's kind of a wonderful exercise in setting up all these parallels between the interior landscape of the mind and the inhabited space you know and that's where the quote would have been about um, Jane shrined in double retirement in the window yeah. so she's in a space she's retired from her room she's in a private space but actually she's also retired into her own territory within her own consciousness and that's been fed by the book the atlas that she's looking at that's also speaking of other spaces yes yeah. where so there's this very complex interplay all the time of imagined spaces described spaces physical spaces and what we might think about as the space of the mind yeah so that's also something that I think is at play in a lot of photography partly because still photography is quite a solitary um, pursuit yeah and it's just typically about you bringing your head around with you and looking at finding things that somehow resonate with something and then trying to um, like in other words you make photographs before you put the camera in front of him you've yeah. already captured it in some way yeah. some relationship of things and space and form that seem to speak and I, I, I think something equivalent happens in the process of thinking about and making architecture I don't want to over-egg it you know but I, I, I think it's rich enough to make a few essays in the yeah. book it, you know yeah. <laughs> and then stop <laughs> maybe um but, but what's interesting about those things is that they are they are an effort of making sense if you will you know yeah. so yeah. Um, yeah and then to make that sense in a, in a way which is communicable so yeah what, what I find very what I find very interesting about the say the Jane Eyre quote is that well it is all those things you say mm. in the class that received the lecture it was a conversation about how the thickness of the wall yeah is a place for spatial invention. Yeah. Yeah. And somehow yeah. because there was a narrative attracted to us to this woman yeah. sitting in this place, yeah. it established an empathetic yeah. connection with how you would make that window far more profound than say the lecture on the Georgian window that we would have received the week before. Yes. And yes. its historical legacy yes. and how it emerged. Yeah. And it seems to me also that certainly having seen your lectures post that, where the photography and the idea of consciousness and self is more yeah more more surfaced or more evident yeah. as part of the thesis is yeah. that the photograph the research into how the photograph was made both technically and theoretically and historically yeah. and the kind of other conversations that you have about the architecture that yeah. might be in that photograph yeah. is an effort of making a different sort of empathetic relationship with yeah. these things yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. beyond their yeah. because one of the things that commonly happens with architectural discourse about photography well, there's a lot of easy dismissiveness of architectural photography, yeah. you know, to do with yeah. the perfected building and all of that sort yeah. of stuff, yeah. just, which is kind of a complete yeah. straw man, obviously. Yeah. And you're saying something else, which is that if you just take the time to actually sit and consider these things, yeah. that there's other levels of meaning in these things which yeah. can fuel other thoughts. Yeah. 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 And it just seems to be quite a generous aspect an attitude to take as somebody who could be described as, you know, a critical thinker or a historical thinker or a theoretical thinker, yeah. Yeah. Um, in that it's it seems to me to be always oriented towards enabling practice. It really does. It's not a conversation yeah. that's about a closed no. theoretical conversation yeah. where the practitioner that's, is irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. Does that come from your frustrations as a practitioner? I mean, it's a, I don't want to psychoanalyze. No, because, no, well, you see, I love that. 
I mean, I still love the act, the... I love putting ideas in motion, you know, or identifying them and getting them moving. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of frustrations. And, and manifesting them even, or just the back and forth between the, the the sort of specificity and the particularity of how something is going to be and the possibilities, of, all the possibilities of what it could be. Yeah. Know, and the sense of those possibilities, you know. And that that's in a project. Um, like, I like beginnings, you know, like, that's, that's in a project at a certain moment when it starts to move you know sorry that, that's quite vague but you, I do know people you know I think what that means yeah um, and so it's kind of alive and um, and then at that point you can come all sorts of things start to resonate do you know and there can be quite distant sort of sets of references and so on almost semi-articulated you can't really talk about them but you kind of know you yeah know, it's something got to do with that and it's something got to do with David Smith sculpture or it's something got to do with felt and it's something got to do with you know that piece of music or you know all kinds of little um, reference points start to be folded into the conversation earlier you, you, you mentioned empathy and it's interesting because empathy is of course you know the the whole empathy theory yes. that was kind of emerging in the late 19th century was a way of trying to talk about how about the experience of uh, space a lot of the time um, like Wolfland famously and then all of the people um, Schmartzow and others who flowed uh, from that school and that really fed into a, quite a lot of well you know Adrian Forty has talked about this yes. and other people have talked about it but um, there's something very interesting to me about the what you were saying about the, the you know the thickness of a window in a wall or the depth it can really speak, echo, seem to echo something about the interior your internal state if you like yeah and it speaks about and a lot of those you know the way i mean i don't want it's not like bachelor's poetics of space because i think that's too romantic and yes i agree and yeah. like it insists that you must have grown up in a house in the woods in order to have access to these kinds with of the basement and it's actually house. more to do with the fact that everyone's got the store of books they've read and people who've talked to them and so on and so forth you can access and some some of these things are superficial and some of them are, are deep and some of them are personal and some of them are borrowed and some of them are yeah you know but they're all there and they're yeah. all to be availed of I think so yeah I like that that idea that there's that there's a rich store of references not the right word but things that one can avail of yeah, in bringing uh, projects into being and keeping them going, and you know, and then discarding and taking up new ones and so on. So we've drifted off the point a little bit, but that's so. To the, so yes, and so like my, I, I find discussions of theory per se hard because I don't, I don't ultimately get. I know, I, I know, I get the. I no, that's not true. I mean, I like theoretical, the use of theory as a way of really clarifying. Uh, a way of thinking or a way of looking yeah and you know you, and for some reason you know so say at a certain point in my own work like Foucault would have been hugely useful and influential to me just because he opened up a whole new way of thinking about order and institutions and all of those kind of things and God, you wouldn't want to be without that you just wouldn't you know? yeah um, but it always felt like something that you wanted to do something with do you know what I mean yeah um and um, like I was at a conference last week um, in Delft, which is called the Tools of the Architect. Interestingly, it's very interesting history conference. 
and there was um, I was listening to a couple of people in a session talking about they were really talking about the history of theory. They were talking about Tafuri and all of those guys in Venice and the way that they picked up all these ideas from the French philosophers and so on. And to a point, it was kind of interesting, but I was sort of thinking it's a pretty dry diet to be working with all the time. You know? <laughs> I, mean, I wouldn't want to be. I'd want to be, to be then, again, then what? Okay, now, so, okay, what does that mean in terms of what somebody did or what was made? Or So theory feeds it, but it's not the point. Uh, and equally, I kind of um, not a very well-behaved historian in the sense of again, Tafuri would be annoyed, right? Because it's all operative to me. Like it's not you want it. It it, it must be. I think that when you're working, and particularly when you're teaching in a, in an architecture school, yeah, students want you have to use history. Yeah, it has to be. You have to inhabit it. You know what I mean? And it's not. And it is ultimately for selfish and unreasonable and. Um, on academic ends that it's used it's a store you know or it's just it's all there all the time so that's a terribly um the art art historians would not approve you know because it's not rigorous but no but still and, and yet there it is and yet there it is that's and what there is that built environment and it is as you say an archive and it is a laboratory yeah and it is a place that you know the and and again it's a kind of dis there's a difference further then from art history which is that because architecture is called into being by forces external to itself mm. always yeah that it, it it's it's part also of the problem of kind of in certain cases when theory is over prioritized which is that it kind of confuses the agency of the architect as being somehow yeah. all encompassing which of course it just simply isn't yes. possible to be yeah. nor has it ever been and I think that's I find that really interesting is that as you say it's not about falling one side of the line it's about there's a really interesting line to be threaded through all these yeah. different efforts that people have made yeah. to make sense of things yeah. I mean I found it actually as a student and I think it must be a common experience because I sort of read quite voraciously in search of answers in search of truths yeah. um, incorrectly obviously yeah. because there is no such thing but that thing where somebody had just sat me down before I started going to the library says, you know, all these books are just the different efforts of people to figure out what it is that they think. Mm. And your job is really to situate yourself in that mix, but not understanding that any of these have primacy as such. Yeah. Because, and, I, and maybe you have to make that discovery by frustration. Um, yeah. But it, it was an interesting one where, because like, we've just finished, and it, there would have been a period in, in my life where I would have thought that we didn't need to theorise or we didn't need to reflect too much. And we've just finished PhD by practice because actually that act of reflecting or the act of dwelling in something, as you've talked about mm. with the photographs you cite, is critical if you don't get caught into your own yeah. mirror yeah. You know, as an architect. Yeah. Which is an interesting problem because, you know, if you take, say, something like a window again or like that I- image of a woman sitting in the depth of a wall yeah. reading or yeah. looking at a book. That, you know, the act of architectural reference, like, so you take famous windows in history, so mm. you take Cannes, perhaps, and you take mm-hmm. the Fisher House. Yeah, yeah. And it's a window that has launched millions of terrible windows. Yeah. And it's because there's more than the physical presence of the window alone yeah. there is this other level of reading and actually yeah. things can be simpler or more complex yeah. more nuanced but yeah. it has to be from a point of dwelling in the yeah. spaces yeah. and it's an interesting conversation which is that I don't know where I'm going with this other than it's these sort of things you find yourself getting trapped in which is that game of actually 
when you're talking to a student or when you're talking to oneself in your one's office of yes it is like that but it isn't um, it yeah it isn't it yeah that's not the yeah I mean I I, I find I mean as, as you were talking there I was remembering back to I think it was that talk because it was a paper that I did about windows and in rooms yeah and Casper you know not um, yeah Casper Friedrich and yes, Windows the, the studio you know which yes. are like the eyes and all that and there's a whole lineage of Bonar I think I remember being obsessed with for a long time oh that's right yeah he, he was there yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean he's fantastic on Windows you know um, no better man and also I was thinking about the, the, the like the ability to go really deep into something specific and then unearth that like really mine it if you know what I mean and find something reveal it and new, you know, go way beyond the anecdotal, go way beyond the specifics of it. You know what I mean? It's, it's physical like composition. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I was thinking about a, uh, one of the books that really struck me was a, Norm, a book by Norman Bryson called Looking at the Overlooked. I don't know if you know that book. Which I is don't. A still life painting. Beautiful book. Norman Bryson, yeah, Looking at the Overlooked. And that, it's about, so he starts with still life painting in the Roman house and then it was a John Ali reference right in the first place and then he talks about um, Cotan Zubran the Spanish if you know you know those paintings where there's like fruit vegetables hanging no in I do black space in a window yeah but the essays just go really just go after everything about you know the rationale behind still life painting all the vanitas and all that stuff that we know from Dutch still life and, but they're beautiful they're paying such attention to the the, the, the things you know mm. but then they're also going like sketching out the whole intellectual and social and cultural hinterland you know that produces them so yeah. they're not content yeah. they're never content to just describe and they're never but at the same time they're always paying attention another person that I think of in like that is um, another essay that I really I tend to think in single essays but like uh, I think I have a short attention span but um, <laughs> is um, Barry Bergdahl essay about Mises um Tugendhat House, a brilliant essay in the in the that book Mies in America that he edited oh, yeah, with yeah. Terry Riley, Terence Riley, and um, before he became the director of MoMA, but but it probably was he was probably going that way. But the, the, it's a great opening to that essay because he talks about the the Johnson Hitchcock exhibition of Mies, where they redraw all the Mies drawings and they take all the the plants out basically. They take all the, they strip away the garden uh, yeah. from that house and yeah. make it into a. So there's a narrative that they're trying to present of a thing. And his opening is to, is to talk about what they did and then look back at the original drawing. And then he goes into the whole kind of, again, that kind of hinterland of thinking about landscape in Germany at the time and so on and so forth. And it just completely reshapes your thinking about that pro- not just that project, but really kind of about everything space in the 19th century and how it connects into the 20th century. So this wasn't. This is not an answer to any question that you were asking, but I think that that like that sort of I think is some way born from practice because practice is about the specific project, if you know what I mean, yeah. or something. The paying attention to something, wanting yeah. it to, you know, start to move, if you know what I mean, uh, wanting to start to get it going or start to I'd get it a little bit of. At its best, it is. You know. Yeah. I, I I think it's interesting because in that tradition of those writers who pull at a thread. And open the world, yeah. you know, Robin Evans, yeah, obviously, Robin and, yeah, um, yeah. you know, Summerson, even yeah. people like this. Yeah. Um, and I think they're fantastic for people studying architecture, but yeah. practicing architecture because yeah. they say the thing exactly that you're describing. Yeah. And 
It's an interesting thing because this is a podcast for students of architecture is that, and it's come up actually repeatedly in some of the interviews, is that learning how to slow down to see, even when there might not be anything there to see initially, or if there might be something so obvious to see that you miss the kind of subtleties, is probably the hardest thing to do now in this kind of image diffused world. I was just downstairs at lunch and um, a group of students in our master's had very carefully surveyed a shed, an abandoned shed in a lot, mm. which kind of slumped interesting formal qualities because it sort of collapsed. And their job was to, quite quite a strange job, was to make it using new materials. Mm. So they had to keep its formal language, but they had to kind of somehow make it. And they had to make this quite complicated frame inside to achieve this quite slumped mm. form outside. Mm. And in that act of translating a shed, every single one of those students had found their thesis. Yeah. And it was a different thesis for each yeah. of them. Yeah. And it seems like those exercises are ones that while we can set them in schools of architecture, they are challenging in the world of practice, which is that how does it become this inward conversation? And this isn't a question because I don't think we can answer it because you're saying it's this kind of careful paying attention to a situation, be it an urban realm or a social situation or... And and then, then I think the next bit is insight. Yeah. And then the next bit is idea. I mean, this is an advertising kind of rationale, isn't it? That's what they say in advertising, insight, then idea. So first you need to see through the situation. You need to study the situation. You need this moment where you cut right through it because you, you've, not, you've not understood it. Like you, you know, it's like, uh, I always think of it like equivalent to the defense splitting pass, you know? Yeah. Like the thing can go back and forth forever, tiki-taki, and then at a certain point, somebody was going to cut a pass right through and short-circuit everything, and then next, and then somebody else did kick it into a goal. Um, so I remember showing years ago, I gave a little, what would you say, homily at the start of the year and I showed two clips to try to illustrate this. One was from a yeah. film called Looking for Eric. It's, yeah, it's yeah. a film with Eric Cantona and Eric, he, this guy who kind of summons Eric, right, the spirit of Eric every now and then. He asked him what was his favourite goal that he scored and Eric Cantona says it was not a goal it was a pass he described <laughs> his famous pass that he made to Dennis Irwin that let Dennis in like that right? so I think that's interesting the pass and then the other one that is the famous bit from the end of the first series of Mad Men where um, I don't know if you know this bit where um, never watched Mad Men ah, but yeah. it's a great well it has its ups and downs but when it really works it's got it's kind of amazing the way it, 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 it manages to make great crescendos, right? And the end of this first series is, do I have time to explain it? Yeah, he, basically what they've got is the, a sort of a circular deck for slides, right? That's the new product that they're trying to sell. Um, and I can't remember this, they call it a, a disc or something, right? And his, so his, he makes this pitch, right? Don Draper pitches are like the, the sort of cruxes of the show. And the pitch, and, and it's at a moment when his own family is falling apart and his, you know, his, his family, his, he's, he's probably about to get a divorce and so on and so forth, so he's leaving them behind. So he starts setting up this slideshow, which is showing kind of slides of his family life. And he's talking about, he talks about uh, nostalgia is the thing that feeds uh, advertising, this idea of the desire for something that we have lost that we want to get back. And then he talks about this and he says, it's not a disc, it's a carousel. It lets us go back and forth and back and forth in time. And he's kind of showing these images. And it's actually kind of an amazing moment, partly because it 
ties the whole series together like the idea of doing it is the way I think yeah. but also because he's showing you that's what that's what insight is like when you've seen through a sort of thing to say this is nothing to do with technology this is to do with nostalgia and then out of that you get the idea to call it a carousel because it goes back and forth blah 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 anyway sorry long winded <laughs> discussion point but you know those moments when somebody just cuts through or the other thing I was thinking I was speaking to Robin Evans is in that essay about Mies you know the paradoxical symmetries the moment where he puts in the, the Joshua Reynolds image yeah. with the hand over the eyes looking to the horizon I mean that like how did he think of that you know but that's great because that just you just go yeah that's what it is that's so right for that building and yet you, there's no way careful study well yes careful study is going to get you there but you also have to make a leap you know what I mean to get to that well uh, I'll recognise things I'll recognise things it's and recognition exactly. yeah and it's sort of like um because for me, certainly, I can't see unless, uh, well, I can't really see in the way that you're describing unless we are uh, intending to do some sort of violence is too strong a word. Mm. But you're on a site or you're in a situation and you are acquisitive for a particular type of looking mm. or it, it could be in the case of a project, it's a way in. In the case of a, a reference or something that you're looking for, it's all the projects in your head at that point in mm-hmm. time, and you were looking for mirrors or you're looking for points. And it's it's an interesting thing, which is that the the intellect or the, the the ideation or all those sorts of things they all happen. It seems to me simultaneously with one another yeah. in a sort of way, yeah. which is that, and it's a hard thing to kind of describe, but in a lot of other schools, and not the school where you teach, not the mm-hmm. school where I teach. I've seen this kind of thing, particularly in first and second year, where site analysis is this sort of thing about just being passive. And there's a really beautiful, and in fact he does them a lot, Caesar has these sketches where he's sketching rooms where he is in various places and he continually puts part of his body into the the drawing, be it the foot or the hand over the empty page. And what he's really saying to me in those situations, and of course it's not what he's explicitly saying, but he's saying that the architect is part of the site. Yeah. That, that, that it is not an act of ego to admit that one's own personal biography, one's own personal yeah. insight radically transforms the sites that you're on in the same way that the climatic conditions do, yeah. like the social structures do. Yeah. And it's, a, it's an interesting thing to talk to students about because we just did a conversation earlier today about how architect, architecture has to sit on that line between the Enlightenment and the medieval where, yes, it can be propelled mechanistically. Mm. It can have those processes. But ultimately, it also retains some of the stain of the human. It has some sort of teleological impulse of some sort that kind of has to get you through part of the process. This is a complex way of trying mm. to describe. Yeah. And the key thing about your analogies are that, say, Cantona had the ball at his foot, or yeah. the photographer has a camera yes, in front yes, of him. Exactly. That's and it's yeah. not a passive thing. No. No. It's a and there's skills, right? And there's technique, and there's all those things that you also have. Yeah. There's tools. There is. Instruments. There's, all that is part of it. Yeah. That's, but that's just the beginning of it, you know. Or it's not just the beginning of it. Like, they all go hand in hand. In hand. You are trying to develop insight while you're also trying to develop capacities in order to act upon it. You know? That's right. Yeah. And being able to make those actions when one might have doubt present or yeah. when one might have yeah. those sorts yeah. of feelings which are in- inherently part of what we do. Yeah. But that's, I think, is the key, is the core thing to have. And in a way, I sort of think, because this seems terribly negative in a way, but it does feel like that the, you know, the realities of practice in all its um, complexity and and restrictions and so on are all about kind of 
they're going to chip away at that. They are. Like, you know, and so you've got to have it. And again, if you do the football analogy, it's like, you know, time on the ball. Like, you've got to make yourself some time on the ball, even though, like, even though there is no time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That's the, the trick of it is to find some space to, to, to offer something. Because the, the truth of the... It seems to me the truth of it, and you know more about it now, is that situations have been closed down and closed down and closed down. The room to manoeuvre is getting smaller and smaller. And either you act, you become kind of... This is a very unrehearsed kind of um, thought, but like either you, 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 you kind of try to go with the system and subvert it or yeah. undermine it, or and in a way Herzog and Demarne do that, I think, and yeah. Gula certainly does it. That's the position elements of architecture. This is all given. All we can do is play with it, yeah. try and find some scope in it, or Herzog and Demarne, all we have is skin. Let's work with that. I mean, I don't know if they do that anymore, but there was a moment when they were, that was the idea. Or, or, or else you say no. I'm going to still insist that there's space to be found here. <laughs> you know, that, 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 that I don't mean literal space, although maybe I do as well. But that there, you know, that there's some way of still operating inside of this and holding or establishing some some room to maneuver. You know? you know, I think you're right. I think that one of the things again that I didn't understand, but which is what we're talking about, which is what we mean when we talk about experience. And so one of the reasons is a course in architecture might be five years long with a year break isn't only because of the sheer kind of fact-based yeah. skills that you yeah. need to know. It's more about this act of kind of critical reflection because yeah. some of those, to use that awful phrase, learning outcomes... Yeah. They have to come with a 10-year fuse because they won't be relevant to your first few years of practice. They'll only be relevant when somebody's asked you to design their house and you're sitting at a piece of an empty sheet of paper and you're going, oh shit, for the first time I'm going to make something in the world now. But you also, you realise that you value that. You know, I I do find, I do think, I mean, I'm sure it's the same with the, the, the places that you've taught. There's a value placed on the kind of gestation, right? And the, and the, and the, and sitting with that and kind of being happy to dwell in it for a while, not as long as one might want, maybe, but yeah. for a while. And you do find um, people coming from other, um, let's say, traditions where that's not the case. No. You know, it's just, it's fast and it's, I mean, and sometimes that's refreshing. You know, it's like, yeah. stop messing around and just put the big idea out there and just go for it. You know, you can go, yeah, okay, that's kind of liberating. <laughs> yeah. But, what it, it, the, I think there is it is difficult when then that gets take that's that resonate that I suppose at the moment one of the difficulties about that is it sort of works so well in the commercial realm like it completely matches. Oh yeah, I mean Björk Ingels' exactly. work is yeah. that perfect. Can we talk about him a little bit? But <laughs> well, yeah, well, it's yeah. a warm it's a perfect, it's a perfect butter, match. Yeah, so it is. It's like, it's, hey, it's, I didn't know it was that simple. Thanks. You know, you can do it that easily. Great. And of yeah. course there are problems with all of those structures yeah. and we, we, uh, having seen them I mean just anyway we can go into yeah. that as a separate thing but it's TED Talk architecture basically. it is TED Talk architecture it yeah. is uh, as opposed to podcast architecture obviously well yeah, we're, we're into long form <laughs> conversations in Kingston. Yeah. but it's like well, we, but it's also the advertising pitch as built artifact yeah. Yeah. so it's, yes. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it yeah, put yeah. places no skill in the actual making of the thing itself, only in so far it can adhere to the thing that convinced the jury. Yeah. 
Yeah. And its gift is that it allows people yeah. of even limited intelligence to feel intelligent because yeah. its 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 premises yeah. are always so 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 dumb. Yeah. But anyway, so much from not knocking him, he's very successful and fair enough. But the thing about it is, is that the other thing that happens if we're trying to talk about the kind of work that we are, I think, talking about, which is, I suppose, another tradition of European architecture, is that all those sort of aborted projects that one starts with, and you know, when, when, when you're starting out in practice or even in research or in any context, there are a lot of things that don't go immediately well, but there's a lot of papers that don't get published, there's a lot of buildings that don't yeah. get built. Yeah. And one of the things that we've started to notice now, certainly, is that we're faster because we've been through more, and there's a lot more in the tank now than there was. So yeah. There's stuff that took a long time to work yeah. out in projects that died that we can deploy in 10 yeah. seconds now. Yeah. And I do yeah. think that there's something to do with that, which is part of the education yeah. of the architect yeah. and the researcher, actually. Yes, it's the reservoir. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's being willing to persevere even though the avenues are getting shut down. And I think that applies yeah. to all contexts in the field that we work in, which is that yeah. until you've built up that critical mass, those points of recognition are possible to be made in the same facility. So they will take longer and they will be more frustrating. Mm. Um, mm. Mm. I don't know where I go with that other than it's just an interesting thing to observe, one that I didn't fully understand at all. And maybe that's as it should be, you know. When you were going through it. Yeah, because yeah. it was sort of like there was times you just went, well, maybe we're just bad at this, or maybe we should stop doing this, or maybe this is something that's it's not... Very, it is a quite a precarious, uh, I think, path. Because he's student working with us at the moment, it's kind of, he, he's looking at um, design theory, really. And I mean, his... his thing is that he's looking at Plato's idea of the aporia, which you know, don't not my territory, so I'm not an expert, but it essentially means the moment at which philosophy fails. The, the, yeah. sort of the, the, the place beyond and it's the end the end of reason, the end of the capacity to kind of think the next thing. And what he's proposing essentially is that that actually is the engine of design. And the way that he would explain it is that to say that in, in order to design something, it has to not be there. Otherwise, why would you design it? Yeah. It doesn't need to be done. But on the other hand, in order to design something, it must be there. Because otherwise, what are you designing? You know. And I think we were talking earlier about models and so on and drawings and so on. I, I think that's where the architect is comfortable, is in that territory where you're comfortable with this thing that is not yet the thing. Yeah. But it has to be something in order to let you work at it in order to make it into the next bit of the thing that is not yet the thing but you're still comfortable with that and a lot of people are not comfortable with that I mean just a lot of other disciplines that's not their idiom yeah not quite I don't even think artists work in quite the same way because I think they um, they think about practice I think their practice in a slightly different way you know what I mean it's not externalizing all the time into something that is not them yeah. for architects are comfortable enough that there's a bit of distance between them and the thing because the thing belongs to some other realm which is a realm of ideas and materials and forms and history and that and yeah. they're into that they're offering something into that or trying to cook something out of that yeah. it's there it's not there it's there it's not there you know it could be this it could be that you know that I mean that's that's the currency isn't it and that's what that's what um, I think we try to that's what a lot of students get frustrated by early on particularly yeah. Like, oh, tell me what's wrong. Tell me what's right. How come if you think it's good, you're saying everything about it is wrong? 
Yeah. Yeah, that's why it is good. <laughs> because everything's wrong, but it could be wrong. You know what I mean? It could be, it could be, it could be. That thing of it could be, that's the mark of the good review, right? Yeah, yeah, I like that project. It could be like this, it could be like that, it could be like that, it could be like that. So it's full of possibilities. You put me what, you mean that you don't like it? No, I do like it because it could be Yeah. Know. It shows facility. It's it shows. going somewhere, it's travelling, it's showing. And then so to become comfortable in that territory, I think. And, and and actually to assert that that has value, you know, in, in, in the context of instrumental thinking and, you know, neoliberal economy and all of those things that are driving always towards closing things down. Yeah. Keeping things closed. That's the, that's what the architectural ed- education offers, I think, fundamentally. No, it's true. And actually it's something that... Uh, and I'm sure it has always been the case, but when I'm just more aware of it now than I was. It is under threat, you know. I mean, I would have, and it's, you know, it's not here, but I would have been critting in places where, you know, it would be said by a member of staff that, oh, a lot of architects say 25% or mm-hmm. 30% who graduate don't build buildings or whatever. Or they actually their thing is don't register with REBA. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we shouldn't be, you know, doing so much of this, yeah. precisely the thing that you're talking yeah. about. We should do maybe a bit of sociology, maybe a bit of event management, this kind of stuff. And I always, I find that such a weak argument because it, basically the flexibility that it confers on people is precisely this management of this condition. And because it's hard to describe or because it's hard to work on doesn't mean that it isn't really actually delivering something of value to the students. I mean, like out of my year, there's plenty of people who don't practice in any conventional sense as an architect, but when you have conversations with them about our time in education, very few of them have any criticisms about it. They yeah. just say, actually, no, I learned how to deliver with doubt, how to manage yes. that. Yeah. And yeah. be they a painter yeah. or be they... Yeah, how to manage doubt and keep going. Yeah. 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 And particularly for the artists. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because that's what they have. They, there's no prompts other than you're, you do what you do. So I think it can feed. I mean, having, having said it's quite different, I still think there's some similarities. I was doing a chairing a discussion there in Dublin recently about sort of the, uh, the hoary old topic of art and architecture oh, interwoven, yeah. right? And, but actually it's a good panel because Shelley was on it and um, an artist called Neve O'Malley, I don't know if you've come across her, is a really, really interesting uh, Irish artist and writer. And um, But that was, the, that was, a lot of the discussion was about that sense of the, actually it was really interesting because I was offering out my half-baked Plato Thing, yeah. Right to the audience. And of course, typically there was a sort of art theory person who I happen to know a bit in the audience who then kind of gave me chapter and verse on where that all came from and what it was for and so on and so forth. And actually, it was kind of good because she, she was kind of legitimating it. And um, and I, I find that, I, I mean, so having kind of lionized that thing of doubt and sitting within it and acting within it, I do think. And maybe this is where I, this is coming back to this idea of kind of looking from other disciplines back in towards architecture and looking from architecture back out through other disciplines. I, I like that and I like the sometimes the quite firm corrective that you can get if somebody who knows about sociology or, yes, you know, yes, or yes, whatever true. says, you know, you, yeah. that's complete nonsense. You know, yeah. Or, like, I remember having a conversation with Mark Crinzen. I don't know if you know Mark Crinzen, no. the architectural historian, like, art history architectural historian so that kind of thing and he was just giving out about most architects doing architectural history that they don't 
know their theory, they don't know their context. You know what I mean? They talk in isolation about the things that they want to talk about without bothering to know what was going on in our theory at the same time. Yeah, so, okay, gotcha, you know, yeah. Well, you're right, kind of, yeah. You know, you are... I get the point, you know, that yeah. there's something... Us, us insisting on our own self-sufficiency, you know, I mean, that it gets us a certain way, but then sometimes I do quite like the astringent kind of slap of... Uh, <laughs> saying, no, 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 there's more to it than that, you know what I mean? Or, that's when theory, you need to kind of brace yourself with a bit of theory. You know? <laughs> or you need to try and struggle through Manfredo de Fury for a little while. To... Oh, no, I don't know. I don't know about, I don't know about it that. It can be good for you. Oh, well, I... <laughs> I Back that, translation. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's an interesting one. I think it's it's a funny one where it is about a balance. I mean, it's just about avoiding binaries, you know, mm-hmm. where where that absolutely is a totally reasonable and correct mm. thing to say, but it might be only necessary to have that experience yeah, every other year. You don't need to get high. You only need, I mean, well, again, this is back to sort of ultimately serving practice. Ultimately, you want to keep going, right? And so you don't want to just get frozen or hidebound or you know, tripped up by those kinds of encounters. You ultimately you want them to brace you and enlarge your scope of sense of how you can operate or what you can Exactly. It's but it's really good to challenge yourself like that though as well and to kind of just be come up against something that you don't mm. uh, that's not comfortable, do you know? Yeah, no, I hear that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then try and assimilate it in some way. Or try and think Yeah. To, to kind of accommodate it somehow in your your reservoir that we were talking about, you know. Um, it's an interesting one where, I mean, I was over in the States in various places and it, it's just true that the the legacy or the strength of kind of theoretical thinking there has sort of killed things. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it, yeah. It's I, yeah. I mean, okay, well, look, we, could, we, we, can, we can point out how muddy his own uh, written thoughts are right but but that primacy of the intellect over say the artifact yeah. uh, which sort of opened a whole door to a world of false certainties and yeah. you know I saw I met lots of wonderful practitioners doing quite interesting work but yeah. what would constitute the work that they would talk about in a school of architecture is all these unbuildable paper projects because they're these mm. super complex things which somehow yeah. can allow yeah. the academics not to kill them yeah so it's this thing where yeah, I completely agree with you and it's just about always trying to talk about balance and trying to talk about this thing Which about... Is, uh, see, that's why I think somebody like Hitler is interesting because he, he's an architect, right? And, that's right, and, yeah. And he's built, like, you know, he didn't... He built the exhibition and the show, for instance. Yeah. Which I didn't know until I knew. <laughs> kind of thing. So like, not only was he writing about Ledoux, you know, he was exhibiting him by making a building and all. So, and something about that... Like the capacity to reign in Frampton, the same, yeah, right, you know, and, and get that. Well, Frampton different, I mean, because then Vidler is quite a different. Like, Vidler is probably interesting because he sits somewhere between those two poles, and Colin Rowe is in the back of it somewhere, you know. And, That's right, you know, and and, and um, then people more likely like Dalibor Bessely and yeah, and Leatherbar, David Leatherbarrow, and um, I mean, there's. I, 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 at a certain point, I, I like, like, I like Eisenman's, um, thesis, you know, the PhD about uh, Teragni and so on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. And a lot of stuff that, that, that there's value bound up in it. It's just when it, when it sort of coalesces into this uh, culture, 
bullying yeah. culture. Well, yeah, 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 as well. I mean, there's other aspects to it as well, which is just to do with it. There's a sort I, of, it's, under, it's, it's underpinned by this kind of Ivy League competitiveness and ego and all those things as well, which just kind of... And a kind of sneering... Oh, yeah. You know, and, I, 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 yeah, what I enjoy... I've not had much experience of it, but I know lots of people have, and it's not... Yeah, it's, well, it's, it's, you, it's it's the evidence is there it's for enabling. Yeah, and the yeah. evidence is there for all to see that yeah. it has a, it's left a poisoned legacy, and it's yeah. an interesting one. Where two 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 observations about Eisenman. The first about that PhD, which yes is actually very you know very beautiful and thorough piece of research, but I do think that there should be and there probably is a German compound word for the feeling that he found when he found that the window at the back when fully opened completed the. Mm. the square isn't mm. that right that's yeah, one of his yeah. things because it meant that somehow it was capturable within his world yes I see but yeah, the, yeah. the fact is that the window isn't the wall and the fact is that the yeah. building isn't a square it's and not his world. and it's not his world and so I think that gap between what it is in his mind and what it is that feeling when he found the window is the feeling of the failure of his contribution to me in a way because it's about trying to pin the butterfly to the wall at all times and then to do so in a way which is really for all of us to admire, but ultimately to, I don't know, I find it quite, maybe I'm wrong, but it felt disenabling. And then more laterally, just to, just to, just to complete a critique, uh, if you want the kind of complete critique of Eisenman, the bit that he made about Hayduk in yes, Santiago oh, yeah, de Compostela. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, there and you go, go okay, hang <laughs> on. I'm not going to defend You didn't that. get it at all. No, you you never it. even understood no, it. No, it's nasty. But, yeah. but it's an interesting one because I don't want to beat the guy up other than to say that these things yeah. do need to be articulated yeah. and aired. And while I, and actually, I enjoy some of those very early houses. They're very beautiful. Yeah, and yeah. it's inarguable to say that Eisenman's thinking in those early houses are definitely present in some of the thinking, say, by Jan de Wilder, right? Mm-hmm. And there are, there, are, there are thoughts in architecture, mm-hmm. valuable currents which flow from that work. Yeah. It's, what am I trying to say? I'm just trying to kind of tease that line out, which is that I'm not rejecting everything. I'm just trying to say... No, but that's the finding an accommodation with it then, isn't it? I mean, like, if you're telling the history of architecture, I think it's, again, maybe bracing or whatever, like that corrective that comes... Yes, you know, yes. linguistic turn or whatever you want to call it, in terms of structuralism and post-structuralism. Okay, you know, not a great era, maybe, in lots of ways. But it did chip away at some stuff that needed to be chipped away at. Definitely. You know? Um, and um, I think I prefer Eisenman's trajectory to Michael Graves. I have been in Portland recently. <laughs> well, look, a fair, that's, a fair, that's a fair comment, actually. Yes. Uh, you've got a lecture to give, yes. so we should probably wrap up. We generally like to end these uh, interviews just with one question. Which with is a song? That, no. Okay, good. <laughs> actually, it is a song. No. Cute, so okay. it's yeah. Your favourite aria. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, but it's, if you had a single piece of advice, and it can be as long or short as you like, yeah. to give somebody about to start studying architecture, yeah. what, what would it be? Well, I mean, we've been talking about it, haven't we? Yeah. Um, embrace doubt as an engine, right? Something like that. Yeah. 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 Okay, that's a good place to end. Thank you very much, Hugh. Thank you for listening to this episode of Register. Do remember, as ever, to subscribe, review, leave comments, all of that stuff, it all helps. Before signing off, I'd also like to thank my colleagues here in the Register Research Centre at the Kingston School of Art, namely Christoph Luder, Matt Wells and Matt Phillips. And particular thanks, as ever, to Laura Evans, who's particularly responsible for supporting the logistics 
and the culture of this programme of podcasts and lectures. I look forward to you joining us in our next edition. Thank you.